Hello, little Zowie Wowie. Hi, Julie. Hello from the other side. I must have called a thousand times. <laughs> little Adele today. I'm sorry for drinking too much coffee today. Oh, boy. Yeah, no donuts, too much coffee. I have to tell you, I've been doing this new diet with my husband, who's become a health fanatic, Ian. Thank and bless him because he cooks everything and has spent a lot of time on this. But I have to give up bread and stodgy materials, Mm. which you know very well, Lynn, is really life-altering for me. For sure. To the point where I get super crabby and super angry at this plant-based. It's not all plant-based, but it's largely Mm plant-based diet. Oh, it's so hard. I I walk by. I walk by like waffles (laughs) and pancakes and donuts. And I start to like quietly whimper. Inside you're whimpering. I'm whimpering. Tell me more about the diet. What's the deal with it? So he's reading this book called Plant Paradox. And I, of course, am not reading the book, nor am I cooking. I'm just uh, the beneficiary mm-hmm. of his wisdom. It's, and it's not just plant-based. Like, you're allowed some meat. They kind of phase that in. But it's very you're, they're very particular about what type of meat and what's going into that meat, like where the, they were raised, Not no beef yet, uh, a little bit of salmon. We've got some fish, a little bit of chicken, but it has to be. I don't even know the terminology, right? Not just grass-fed, but pasture free or something i don't know it's crazy but he loves it he he got it from a friend who he said swears by it and looked great and Mm -hmm. feels great and ian but ian is not like a bread and stodgy flour dude he's not a starchy Mm -hmm. guy he you know so for me it's oof. i mean i could have donuts for breakfast cereal for lunch and pancakes for dinner and how long have you been at it a week and a half. Wow. Loosely. Loosely. Almost two weeks. But I, I, I do fall off the wagon. Mm-hmm. Like, don't tell him, but this morning I had two waffles because I'm <laughs> on the road. Doesn't that go against everything you just said that you're trying yes. to do? Yes. And let me tell you, I pounded them. I don't need, I, literally, I inhaled them. I don't even think I tasted them. I was just like, <gasps> hyperventilating waffles and at the hotel i'm staying at because i'm calling a game in jacksonville with the women's team there are donuts at the base of my hotel every morning like just screaming to me testing me oh goodness is it a donut shop or is it a coffee shop it's a coffee shop but Mm -hmm. they've got like fresh donut fresh local donuts big sign i'm like okay i get it all right (laughs) Wow. Mm. I mean, you've won Olympic medals, you've won World Cups, oh. but this might be the biggest challenge oh. you've ever faced. I better get a bloody purple heart for this thing. <laughs> and then you're allowed only four ounces of wine. Four ounces. Do you know what four ounces is, Lynn? Four ounces is like a shot glass, Lynn. Every night. Only four ounces. That's so random. Why four ounces? I don't know. Exactly. And like, so can weird. we just... Push it to six. Yeah, it seems that seems a little arbitrary. I might do that. I mean, I, I might already do that. I actually thought of you yesterday because I thought you'd be really proud of me. I went mm. to a coffee shop breakfast place yesterday, 
and I got, they had breakfast tacos, but prior to the breakfast tacos, I was so hungry, I ate this cinnamon roll muffin thing that was about (laughs) as stodgy as you can get, and as you know, I don't eat a lot of that, but in your honor... I yeah. must have felt it. I just I must noticed have felt you didn't it. call it a donut. You said cinnamon roll muffin thing. It is a donut. Let's no, this one this one was nowhere near being a donut. It wasn't mm. fried. I even asked because I couldn't tell what it was exactly. And the guy at the register said it's a cinnamon roll muffin, sort of. So that was the yeah. definition I received. It for sure uh, did not qualify anywhere near the you. donut category. Very jealous. Yeah, I must have just felt the vibes that I needed to make up. For what you were missing out on yeah well and they have what they call a sticky bun here at the bottom of my hotel stop it right it, it's larger than my head i'm not kidding the sticky bun and i'm like i would have pounded that had i not been on this damn diet <sighs> may i be better because of it i'm trying what is the end goal yeah exactly no idea <laughs> i don't know okay okay <gasps> Better poops? I don't know. I mean, more consistent bowel movements? I mean, what is the end goal? I guess the end goal is that someone comes up to you and says, wow, you really look great. Your skin looks so much less wrinkly than it did two weeks ago. I don't know. We need a podcast taping so I can like have a reason to fall off the wagon again. <laughs> Anyways, all right. Are you ready? Lynn? Oh, Zowie Wowie for our next guest, Katie Couric. <laughs> Katie Couric. <laughs> yes. Katie is technically our first non-sports related guest, but our goal with this podcast is to interview trailblazers and Katie Couric definitely fits that bill. Let me give you a little background on Katie. Just to refresh everyone, co-hosted, Katie did, the Today Show for a decade and a half with NBC. She moved over to CBS News to become the only solo female anchor for the evening news in America, the first solo female anchor. Uh, And beyond being an award-winning journalist, she's a cancer advocate, a documentary filmmaker, New York Times bestselling author. Let's keep going. She also has a podcast Next question with Katie Couric. Oh, and in her spare time, she's writing a new book. Oh, yes, and she also has a morning news newsletter I wake up to every day called Wake Up Call with Katie Couric. Uh, and contrary to her assertion that her title is America's sweetheart, Lynn, as we discussed, has reached its statutory limits, she is as damn kind as ever as she pounded donuts with us. And this is while... She was prepping for two very big interviews she had the next day with Ronan Farrow and Julie Andrews. Yes, the hills are alive, Julie Andrews. What you're saying is she took the time out of her incredibly busy day to sit down and talk with us. So gracious. That's right. Yeah. So gracious. So get comfortable listening. It's Katie Couric. Kickback, 
my God. I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill you guys. <laughs> These are so decadent and so delicious. And I already ate one. And I was trying to do keto today. And keto just went out the window. Keto this. You know, I've been intermittent fasting. <laughs> They're going to have a drinking game at my office every time I say intermittent fasting or bifurcated. And, um, but so... My version of intermittent fasting, I don't eat until noon. And then from noon to 10, I eat everything that isn't nailed yeah. down. Do you always Wait, give your guests heard, donuts? Can you? Yes, we do. Always donuts? I have a donut problem. Is it First step always is admitting it. Have you ever had these donuts? No, what are they, by the way? Oh, my God. I hadn't. These are from Union Square Cafe from their little shop. Yeah. That sells bread. And actually, I think their events department has to make these specially. They do. They sent these donuts. Danny Myers, a friend of mine, and he sent some of these to our office, and we all went insane. And you have to order them specially from Union Square Events. And so, my friends, these are the finest donuts known to man in and womankind. <laughs> They're the finest donuts in Donut Land. Did you taste one? Yeah. So I was trying so hard not to before you came. You're we actually- the devil. <laughs> They actually videoed it because I was just like looking and oh my staring. God. I just would like to just Come put on, the box in my face. I'll take a corner, but yeah, I just want you to know I've already had one. Did you eat a whole one? Yeah, I might have. Katie. Oh, good for you. Katie, don't tell everyone. Okay, I won't. But I'm just going to have one of these sides and then please remove them from the premises. Wait, can we can we talk about who you're interviewing tomorrow? Are you allowed to talk about that right now? Yeah, sure. Because I... Love me some Julie Andrews. Oh, do you? Who doesn't love Julie Andrews? How do you, Can you understand me with I'm like chewing Maria. my donut? I know. I mean, every song that was my movie to this day. It's everyone's movie, I think. I know. It's just not me. How old were you? Wait, how old were you when you saw it? Uh, when did it come out? 1964. Oh, so I, I saw it in the theater. Oh, you did on Easter Sunday <laughs> with my whole family. Yeah. I was so afraid when Rolf was there with the Nazis. Yeah. I was, I cried. But, um, uh, yeah, I love that movie. And she's 84 years old. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? She looks so good. She's, and her memoir comes out tomorrow. Yeah, this is her second memoir. She's oh. already written one. Yeah, and now she's it. written a second one. And, yeah, I'm really excited. I've interviewed her before. I bet. Yeah. But I haven't seen her in quite a while. And so I'm very excited to spend some time with her. And, and where sing do you do some those, songs? Where do you do these? You, <laughs> At yeah. different studios all around town for iHeart because I'm doing sing? it with iHeart. Oh. Well, she's saying, well, you know, she had that surgery yeah. that messed up her vocal cords, yeah. and she did sing a little bit in Princess Diaries too. I have all my Judy, Julie, Judy, Julie Andrews info down pat at this point but yeah. um i don't think she'll sing during the podcast no. i was gonna have her call jennifer garner because jennifer garner just posted on her instagram her singing to the sound of music that was playing at some outdoor theater yes, yeah. and that. um she is so into julie andrews so i thought it would be super funny if during cute. the podcast it's very meta that we would have julie <laughs> call jennifer and they would have a love fest, and we'll include that in the podcast. Speaking of love fest, I'm taking another bite of my donut. <laughs> this is what happens to me. I'm like, I just want the corner, oh. and then I go to the next corner, and the next corner. How often have you eaten a half a sandwich, and then a few minutes later, you're just like, F it, I'm eating the whole thing. <laughs> Daily. Right? 
I mean, what's wrong with so us? So the other day we did three uh, podcast <clears throat> interviews in a row, and we have donuts at each. So literally, I said to Lynn at the end of the day, the only thing I ate today was six fucking donuts. <laughs> oh my god! Did you you just dropped the F on? Wow, <laughs> Julie, <laughs> keeping it real. <laughs> we we get an E next to us all the time. I try and keep it clean. Really? Yeah. What's the E stand for? Explicit. Oh, stop it. Look at she's reaching in for more. Explicit, Katie. Don't oh, sorry. Like you don't know what the E oh, stands for. I just for. did a, a podcast on pornography. I think pretty sure that got an E. <laughs> that know. podcast, so good. Really? Mm-hmm. Everyone needs to listen to that episode, especially if you have kids. I have a 10-year-old, and Lynn's like, you boy. And 12-year-old girl, she's like, you have to listen to this. Well, I think it just speaks to the avail- the availability of technology in general. You know, my daughters are now 23 and 28. And I think it would be so much harder. It was hard enough. You know, I was mm-hmm. a single mom uh, when uh, Ellie was six and Carrie was two when Jay died. And I think about all the pressures that have been kind of amplified and made so much worse through social media and the accessibility to everything from that little rectangle that's Mm. kind of permanently attached to your hand. And it's really, really hard. And I think you just have to monitor kids 24-7. And You do, You know, the fact that this hardcore, hard, hardcore, misogynistic, violent pornography is so readily available. And... You know, these brains are developing. They're making associations, right, as they grow up. And they're like sponges. And I did a – I remember doing an interview with a Harvard psychologist saying how our our brains are wired to make connections. Mm. So if they're connecting intimacy and sex with this kind of brutality and and debasement – you you really have to counter it with other things. I think that's that's the problem. You just have to constantly be not only monitoring what they're uh, ingesting, but also countering what the images and the messages that mm-hmm. they're getting from everywhere. And the hard thing as a parent is, you know, before it was you could see what you're watching on a big flat screen. And the whole family was right. Right. There was one device that you got all your content from and you could see it. You could be in the kitchen, kick cooking, and you could see it now with their little iPads like my kids have. Right. Right. Or they're on the couch. Yeah. They don't have, but they don't have phones, but when they do, they do. Yeah. And even if they're still in the vicinity, they're on the couch watching with their headphones on or they're, you know, sitting on the floor because they're charging it. And I don't, I'm constantly like, what are you watching? Hey, how's it going? What's, what's going on? But you have to be, it's like, no, I feel like I'm true. hovering. You know, you'll go a day and go, what What were they watching? I didn't check in with them. I don't know. Right. Now I'm going to check in every five minutes. Well, I think, you know, we did have that uh, sex ed teacher from Philadelphia who teaches at a Quaker school who talked about how you prepare kids given that they may be seeing some of this stuff. And he also talked about really teaching values from an early age, which I imagine you both do, about gender equality and, um, you know, fairness and and parity and all those things that you have to kind of have these teachable moments Mm -hmm. almost constantly, right? And then when you see this stuff, they're more equipped to say, this is not right. There's right. something off here. But 
So you have that moral compass. Yeah. What were you pointing to? One of my questions. <laughs> what Sorry, we do? we we don't we we're not allowed just to eat donuts and riff. Sorry, we do are. you guys have? That's we actually have what we do really well. We just do this. Katie, we have so many darn questions to ask you. Oh my yeah, god! We well, do I'm have so questions. excited because apparently you have enough donuts to last me for the next half hour. There are. I'm just going to keep see, pushing them your way, there, Katie. There are five and a five donuts and a couple of little pieces. So get those away from me. <laughs> But they are the best donuts ever. And quick plug, if you haven't already checked out Katie's new podcast, it's called Next Next Question, Question. which is the new iteration. Right. I did a podcast for two years with a good friend of mine, Brian Goldsmith. And Brian lives in L.A. And he's now working for the uh, uh, part-time for Pete Buttigieg. Mayor Pete. Yeah. And um, so he wasn't really available. And um, so I decided to... Go off on my own oh, and do this podcast be okay? again. I think I'll be okay. Um, but I miss Brian and I love him. And maybe he'll be a guest host at some point. But I really do love podcasts because they're they're more natural. They're more intimate. People worry, I think, let their hair down because yeah. they don't have to worry about their hair and how it looks. Totally. Exactly. And they're not so self-conscious. Exactly. And, and, it, and, and you have time to actually really talk about things. I know. It's so refreshing. Versus, can you tell this story in two and a half minutes? Oh, That'd be great. Yeah, <laughs> no, right? not really. Okay, so we always start our podcast with a set the scene because back in the day when I was playing, I always had a camera and I'd say to the players, set the scene for us. So, Katie Couric, can you set the scene? Well, kids, uh, <laughs> right now we're in the library of my apartment building here on the Upper East Side, the really happening hip Upper East Side. <laughs> and uh, we could have done it upstairs in the apartment, but I think it was just easier. And it's actually kind of a lovely room with green leather chairs, a green and blue motif, and a little patio outside, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted outdoor space, and this is about the best we could do. Mm-hmm. Um, the only problem, it doesn't get much sun except for in the morning, but okay. it's nice to be able to go down there, and sometimes I read or do some work down there, and I can't talk too loudly because my neighbor's windows are right there, and if I get up too early and start talking on the phone, it really bothers them. But anyway, so here we are, and we have this nice big round table and donuts in front of us from Danny Meyer's uh, events company from Union Square Events, and they are the best friggin' donuts on the planet. <laughs> and I'm just, I, I actually... And it's killing your keto diet. Today. Oh my God, it's totally, it's keto is no more. Yeah. Anyway. I like all the health stuff you're doing, though. You do? Yeah, I oh, do. Oh, thanks. thanks. I know that's a... That's a big new space for you as well. Well, I'm trying to do a lot of different things. I really don't know what I'm doing, but I like, you know, I like to work and I like to ask questions. Ergo, next question. <laughs> and I like, you know, interviewing people and exploring big topics. So I'm having fun, but it's a slightly peripatetic, which is a Ooh, very good SAT word. Thank you. You're welcome. Peripatetic. <laughs> Spell that, please. All over the place. Um, peripatetic. <laughs> P-E-R-I-P-A-T-E-T-I-C. I hope that's right. That's impressive. Thank you. Well, we thought that you get asked the question a lot on why you wanted to be a journalist, so we wouldn't start there. Okay. We may end up there eventually. Okay. But I am fascinated because you are known as America's Sweetheart. 
And I think the statute of limitations and that <laughs> moniker has, it, it probably ended, uh, Julie about 25 years ago, but thanks anyway. Because like, I'll be in the nursing home. They'll be like, isn't that America sweetheart America over there, honey? You know, she's so perky. <laughs> I know. Oh God. But I said to Lynn, she has to, I mean, she sings, seems so dang nice all the time. And every time. Yeah, exactly. Like, come on, let's hear the dirt. Like, do you get grumpy and cranky and rude? I think we need to call my husband. <laughs> uh, or, yeah. or I always go to my kids. For yeah, that. yeah, yeah. My daughters too. I got really annoyed with my daughters because I saw these charges on my uh, credit card that I was like, what is this clothing company? What, what, I didn't order these shoes or <laughs> wait, I didn't take all these lift rides. And I think they were kind of connected to their Apple Pay or something. So I was very cranky about that. Um, yes, I get cranky all the time. Listen, I'm a normal person. I think I do have a very upbeat, outgoing personality. And I think that's a great thing. I feel very lucky. But I am, I'm, I'm actually pretty moody at times. I'm not a morning person, <laughs> despite what I kind of pretended to be for 15 years. Yeah, I was going to um, say, good thing you weren't on yeah, a morning show yeah, for exactly. 15 years. And, um, but generally, I think I'm relatively good-natured and a pretty positive person. I really enjoy people. You know, I get a lot of energy mm-hmm. from people, and I like... I'm a very social person, too. I yeah. wish I could be more solitary and spend more time alone, but I, I really... I, I just, I don't know whether I'm, because I'm the youngest of four kids. Oh, same. There you go. Come Look on. at us. I'm the same way. <laughs> um, but what it is, but I just, I'm a very social animal and a pretty happy person. So the yeah. two of you have a lot in common, actually. Yeah. Youngest is she of four. moody and not a morning person? <laughs> clearly likes donuts. Gets super aggro when my kids use my yeah. credit card. <laughs> Both of you are so positive. And then it was interesting to hear that you feed off of other people's energies because that's just like Julie. Yeah. yeah. But I'm married to an introvert who's like, yeah, no, I don't want to party. I'm like, oh, we're going to have a party though. <laughs> that's hard. Yeah. That's challenging. What's you know? John like? John, um, I would say... He's more introverted than I am, but who isn't? And um, But I do think one of the things I love about him among many is that he's uber comfortable in his own skin. Mm. And he's he's really funny. He's got a great sense of humor. And he can go anywhere and feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, I think with some of my other partners or bows or whatever you want to call them less less with jay although that that was hard because suddenly i became kind of well known mm-hmm. when we were and when we were married i wasn't so that was a big adjustment for us but you know it's so nice not to have to worry about someone you get them in a social situation you don't have to be like are they okay are they talking mm-hmm. to someone um and people are such star stoppers as you know they they sometimes meet the less well-known person in a couple and they're basically, they're like Mr. Cellophane. They see right through them. That's they're not Ian really <laughs> interested in them. And it's, and, and nothing makes me think more highly of a person than when they actually are interested in the person I'm with. Mm-hmm. Cause generally, and certainly in John's case, they are more interesting than I am <laughs> and have a lot more to offer. 
but it's uh, it can be challenging. But John, you can he he's just fun to be with. He can make conversation with anyone, and um, so that's what's really nice. Okay, so why did you get into journalism? Well, gee, thanks for waiting <laughs> for five minutes. For five minutes, thanks. Thanks for making the, the second question, Julie, instead of the first. You know, I think for probably you would be able to answer that question. Why do you think I got into journalism? Because you're curious. Yes. You like people. Yes. You want to talk to people. Yes. Hey, and I also, me. And I I also think I see it as as um, you know I see it as um, public service mm-hmm. in a way. I took one of those personality tests and it said I should be a social worker. And I think that it's my way of sort of serving people and helping people. I mean, maybe it doesn't help as much as some jobs, but kind of helping people understand the world, helping people make sense of things, helping people kind of along with expanding their outlooks and being more open-minded and tolerant mm-hmm. sort of showing what unites us all and our common humanity um i think that's serving a public service i mean i think that's doing a public service especially in the times we're living in right now and you do that space so well i try i don't I, know i watched your documentary on gender no the middle of america oh on white anxiety yes mm-hmm. and it was fascinating i think it's so interesting if you look at kind of the big changes we've witnessed in this country going from an industrial to a technological mm-hmm. society and the fact that manufacturing has declined so dramatically and people who whose families were in certain businesses or line, you know, had a a certain profession suddenly to have the rug taken, Mm -hmm. ripped up from under you. And some of, you know, I mean, listen, you don't need me to give you a whole, you know, America one on one Oh one on what's happened economically to many of these rural areas Mm -hmm. and, and less urban areas. And with the opioid epidemic and mm-hmm. everything that's going on, I think there are a lot of people in this country that have felt marginalized and left behind. Mm-hmm. And um, it happened so quickly, I think relatively quickly. So, yeah, like in there, you know, usually it's generations down, but it's, it right. was, you know, I had this great job in this factory and I was uh, living a middle-class life. Right. And then all of a sudden it's Boom. gone. Right. Yeah. And or even if it's a gradual process over a few years, mm-hmm. it still feels um, abrupt to people. When you when you see the news today and the crazy cycle it's oh my on, God. do you miss the daily live news coverage? Or- I sometimes do because I miss the excitement of being in a newsroom mm-hmm. and kind of collaborating with people and talking about ideas and how we're going to cover stories and shouldn't we be doing this? And, you know, to me, the, the collabor the collaborative process, I do miss, mm-hmm. even though we do that at my new company and we're doing a lot of different projects, but there's something about the adrenaline of a newsroom mm-hmm. and having these at the immediate deadlines that mm-hmm. really floated my boat for many, many years. And, um, 
So I miss that. Although my friends say a newsroom isn't even like that anymore. They don't have the police scanners going off and the everything blaring. You know, everyone's with their earbuds sitting at their desk in front of a computer. So I think I miss the way the business used to be. Mm -hmm. I know I sound like I'm 95, like in the good old days, but I do kind of miss that energy that comes with with what a newsroom was like. I, I can't even imagine how little reporters and anchors and all of those involved in daily live news coverage right now are, they can't be sleeping much. Like yeah. just, they keep thinking, oh, it's going it, to, you know, it'll slow down. And it doesn't. It is, it is nonstop, const, constant insanity, chaos, cacophony. I mean, it's just like crazy. I sometimes, friends of mine say, have you seen the latest tweet? And I'm like, what? What is going on? Sometimes I just have to shut it out yeah. because I find it incredibly anxiety producing and mm -hmm. really upsetting on so many levels. And um, I just haven't seen anything like this. So I have a lot of respect for people because it must be exhausting who are covering this day in and day out. The fact that our social fabric is kind of fraying. Um, I think that the discourse has gotten really um, just it's full of, of vitriol and rancor. And mm -hmm. there's just a lot of anger and frustration. Mm -hmm. I consume a lot of news. And to your point, Lynn is always saying to me, stop watching the news because you're getting high anxiety from it. And I say, I, I, I get it. I have to turn it off. And Twitter too, right? I have to get off that at times. But I also feel like it's my social and civic responsibility right. to be aware. Of course. And to be present in that. Like we're living through history right now, I say. But I just, it, it's too tribal. And I wish sometimes we would back off that rhetoric on both sides. I just actually emailed a group that kept emailing me from the left that was sending me in, and I can't remember, it was a pack of some sort, but they were trying to get money from me. And every headline was like so exaggerated and over I've been getting top. those too. And I, I don't know how they got my email. I don't either. And I, I wrote to them. I said, stop. Stop with this. What are you doing? I'm unsubscribing. Because they said, why are you unsubscribing? I'm unsubscribing because you're not helping. And that's what it I It feels think. hysterical. But mm -hmm. I also think, you know, we've never had an administration that has so uh, sort of challenged the boundaries of propriety and I think conventional behavior, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that, not just the personality, but also this social media, this immediacy and accessibility to people. If you used a sports analogy, there's no clear lines of the field, right? Mm -hmm. It's just all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so it just feels chaotic, I think. Mm -hmm. And for people covering it, I think, how do you cover it and still be fair, right? Mm -hmm. And are there certain things? I, I wish my dad were alive because he was a political reporter for the Atlanta Constitution. And, you know, are there things that are are beyond the boundaries of acceptable behavior and rhetoric. And do you call that out? Mm -hmm. And then if you call it out and call it out, then do you lose your credibility as a, mm -hmm. a as an impartial a, yeah, observer, right? Right. right? Yeah, so because it's really hard. Yeah. They want you to call it out, but in reporting, you're, 
you're also taught like you have to stay objective, right? Right. My friend Nicole says people are getting affirmation, not information. Julie, I think it's challenging. Um, I think it's challenging for journalists. Um, there's a lot of commercial pressure in terms of people needing ratings to stay afloat. And you have to sometimes get a very um, loyal following of people who are going to watch mm-hmm. continually, continuously or keep mm-hmm. tuning in. And so I think it, there, it's a very challenging environment for journalists in general, I think. Yeah. And wouldn't you say, too, the immediacy of how we get our news? Maybe you can take us, give us perspective on when you started out in your journey through the Today Show to CBS Evening News to where the evolution of it. Where oh, my it is God. Today. I mean, it's it has changed. It's night and day. And it's funny. You know, I think we all saw it in the future, but the future is now. And when I started in in broadcast news, it was in 1979. And, you know, there were three networks and cable news had just CNN started in 1980. I was one of the first employees and MSNBC didn't exist and Fox News didn't exist because Roger Ailes started that later. And so and. The internet didn't exist. Remember that famous scene where I'm saying, Allison, what is internet? So embarrassing. People remind me of that all the time. I'm I'm like, hey, it was 1994. I'm sure you didn't know that much either. But, um, you know, now everything has changed. We have your phones on this table right now. If you want to know what's happening, you're going to get notifications. You're not going to need to watch TV. Very few young people, at least my daughters, and I don't know about your kids, they're not turning on the television yeah. for news. They get it on their phone or they get it on their computer, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it has really, really changed dramatically. And there's this, you know, a million outlets now. There are, of course, the very, um, you know, outlets that have been around for a long time that I think are household names, like the New York Times mm-hmm. and the Washington Post and the networks and all that, but now you have this just proliferation of outlets, and you're like, "Oh, this is an interesting." Well, wait, who is this? Wait, right. <laughs> who are these people? What is this? I always go, "Wait, what is the source?" Of yes, this? and I'm like, like "Wait, I've never from? heard of this <laughs> this news organization." You don't know what their standards are, yeah. um, whether or not they fact checked anything. So, when I hate the moniker of fake news, but there is a lot of fake news out there. But fake news is not just news that you don't like because it doesn't jibe with your political mm-hmm. point of view. Yeah. The thing Lynn and I talk about all the time with you is how much we admire how you've been able to evolve as well and your willingness to change lanes mm-hmm. and try new things and try new forms of media. Where does that come from? I mean, I think that I... Because we bowed. Oh, thank you, you guys. Well... You know, I I did a lot of big jobs in TV news. And once you have some of the biggest jobs, you know, are you going to be a reporter? Not necessarily. That just seems a little weird, right? Mm -hmm. But I love to write. I love to tell stories. um, And I saw very clearly the landscape was changing in front of my eyes. And I thought, well, I could adapt or I could die, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And, uh, plan you know, A or plan B, <laughs> but no, seriously, you could just say, I'm not interested I'm going to do something totally different. Uh, I'm going to work for a nonprofit or do X, Y, or Z, or I'm going to do what I love to do, which is talk to people, tackle issues, uh, create, tell stories, but how can I do it in a way that it's going to reach 
an audience and feel fresh and and new. And so I, you know, I went to Yahoo first because I saw they were a tech company with huge pipes, but that I thought they could really improve the stuff that was going through the pipes. Mm -hmm. And um, that was really challenging, but fun. And I learned a lot, but they were really primarily a tech company, not a media company. And Mm -hmm. I think they didn't ever quite get the secret sauce of doing both. And there were a lot of uh, reasons for that, I think. But, um, and then I thought, well, everybody's got a platform now. And because people know me and trust me to a certain degree and know my work and are familiar with the things I care about, and it, have you either grown up with me or grown up, you know, or grown old with me, <laughs> it's really one or the other. Because a lot of kids in their 20s say, you know, I used to watch you every morning when I had breakfast mm-hmm. with my mom and dad or and a lot of my contemporaries say, you know, we we grew up and grew have grown older with you. So I just thought, how can I keep doing what I love, but doing it in a different way? And I don't know. My, my dad used to tell me that it was really important, even in my younger days of being a journalist, you have to stay on top of change. And I don't think we've ever witnessed a more transformational time, not just in media, mm-hmm. but in almost every arena. And my, I remember my first commencement address, my dad helped me write it and we were talking about it. I mean, I wrote it, but he was sort of giving me his point of view. And we were saying long are the days of working for the same company for 30 or 40 years and retiring with a gold watch and a pension. You know, my dad was very prescient, and I think I got that from him. Mm -hmm. So as I've seen things change, and, you know, sometimes it would mean, well, I want to have a conversation that's longer than three minutes. Mm -hmm. Where can you do that now? Well, Mm -hmm. you can do it in a podcast. Mm -hmm. Or I want to really understand an issue. How can you really do that and share it with people? You do it in a documentary, you know? Was it scary for you? Like, was there any... Doubting, questioning, can I do this? Do I want to get into this? No. No. Not really. I love it. I Even mean, with starting your own production company? No. Wow. You know, I'm not really afraid of failure. I mean, I've had incredible success. I've had some things that have been less successful. You know, I had a talk show for two years. I was just having lunch with two of my former producers, and we were laughing about it. And, <laughs> you know, we were saying how proud we were of some of the great things we did there. I mean, it's all kind of a journey. And you, I know it sounds like, a, you know, a, some kind of self-help book. But <laughs> I, I do think, you know, you have these positive experiences. Yeah. You have these challenging experiences. But, you know, they're all just kind of part of life. And so... I have never been afraid to try new things. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. What's the worst that can happen? You do something else, right? right. Oh, I Amen. love that. But there's a lot of women who go, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to raise my hand because I haven't checked every box or I don't feel like oh, I'm yeah, ready. Oh, yeah, I know. Or, well, so many women have right. imposter syndrome. And I have it too. I mean, believe me, I'm not that self-confident. I'm as insecure as the next person. But at some point you just have to say, F it, you know, I'm going to do this. Wait, you're insecure. Yeah, of course. Everyone is. If they're, if they don't admit it, they're just faking you out. That's (laughs) what Julie always says that people who pretend or act like they're perfect are far from it. No, I think, you know, I I think everybody struggles with self-esteem. Everybody struggles with, did they do the right thing or, you know, 
I think women in particular struggle with that kind of balance being likable and yet being serious and professional. That's really challenging. You know, I've had conversations where I'm serious and direct and I walk away every time and say, oh my God, did I just sound like such a bitch? (laughs) And do you think any man ever says, oh my God, did I sound like I was a jerk? Nobody, you know, and I, I don't, I think we have this uh, need to be liked that really does make it difficult for us to be in charge. And we just need many more women in charge. Yeah. Don't we? Yes. Let's Look talk at, about that. Actually. I know. Sure. I'm sure you're aware of all the battles happening in the sports world with equal pay. Yes. U S women's soccer, for example, or even USA women's ice hockey has waged their battles as well in the last couple of years. Well, let's talk about that. Cause I have some questions for you, Julie. Like, do you think that <laughs> Katie's going into her? No, so I'm interview curious, remote. no, no, no. I'm just curious. Um, I think it's it's ridiculous, but what is the argument against it? Is it that there are fewer people going to the games? Is mm-hmm. that so what is the what do professional organizations say when you mm-hmm. wage that battle? So going back into my days of right. playing, right? The 90s, the early 2000s when we would argue we should be and back then we weren't necessarily fighting for equal pay. We were fighting for equitable pay, right? Which is better support, uh, more marketing, Better pay, of course, but not equal pay to the men. Right. Um, And I think they're now at equal, and rightfully so. But back in the day, they used to say to us, well, you don't attract the same numbers. We don't get the same sponsorship revenue from you. We don't get the same merchandise revenue from you. So it was a revenue numbers game. Right, or ad sales or whatever, right? We make more money on the men's side. And that's always been the argument for the international governing bodies that govern. So, for example, FIFA governs all of soccer. Right. They make billions off of a men's World Cup versus millions off of a women's. And I say, yeah, but you haven't been even telling the world there is a women's World Cup right. for 30 years. So It's sort of expect? the chicken or the egg, yeah. right? I mean, that yeah. it, without no marketing, marketing yeah. without, you know, uh, really putting it front and center, how do you expect it to gain traction? And that's what we would say to them. Unless you water that garden... Right? Your flowers aren't going to grow. So put some money behind it. And what would they say to that? Uh, No, you don't make enough money for us to put any money behind it. And so we just rattled and we rattled and we shook and we shook and we shook. And thanks to, you know, people like Billie Jean King, who we were just talking to, who, you know, kept pushing us along, like, you can do this. We did it in tennis. You can do it. Um, You know, we, we, we broke through. But today, they're still, now even with the women's team, I mean, they make as much as the men make. They're so popular. So that more, argument- I would argue yeah, more, more popular. more popular. Yeah. That argument has gone out the door. And so they'll get to a better place for sure. I don't know if it's going to be equal, equal, because if you get into the weeds of it, it gets really complicated with the money coming from FIFA. They mm-hmm. give bonus money to federations and they give mm-hmm. a lot more because the men make a lot more for the men. Mm-hmm. But anyways, not to get in the weeds of that. But I just think of it, it's so present in the sports world, of course, it's so present in, the, in so many different industries. And I wonder what you went through when you were coming through as a journalist. Did you have to Go in and say, hey, why is, you know, the guy next to me making this much and I'm not making this much? Or did you have to wage that battle? I didn't have to wage it as much as some of my colleagues. Mm. I think, um, you know, pretty early on, I was in a, a fairly prominent position 
And um, although I started, for example, at the Today Show making less money than Brian Gumbel, I thought that was okay because he was, uh, you know, he had seniority and he was Mm -hmm. more experienced than I was. Mm -hmm. But as I became more important to the show, I did not hesitate to ask for more money to, um, you know, so I was never shy about that. Mm. And which again is not a trait you see often. Study yeah. after study have shown yeah. women they're afraid to go in and knock on the door and say, well, "Hey, yeah." I mean, you I know. think that's why I had an agent, <laughs> <laughs> so I could not, you know, remove myself from that whole yeah. uncomfortable conversation. And I remember when I went from NBC to CBS, they wanted to pay me less money, and uh, my mom said, "You're not going there for less money." Wow. So my mom, mom basically go mom. told me to tell my agent that I was not going to make less money, that that made no sense, that I was taking a big chance going there, and that they had to pay me the same as I was being paid before. So Ellen what, what did your agent say? He laughed. He said, you know, pretty much what you guys did. Go mom. You know, okay. And, uh, you know, I think... I mean, there's, I think psychologically it might have actually hurt me because I think when it becomes public, how much money you're making, especially Mm. as a woman, I think it, it sometimes is, it, it solicits a negative reaction or elicits a negative reaction in people. In some cases, I think. I don't think men have that same. No, I think there's still so much subtle sexism and kind of Mm -hmm. implicit bias that we haven't even acknowledged or tackled that Mm -hmm. really are very powerful when it comes to professional environments. And, um, you know, I think that's probably the next thing that we'll need to talk about. You know, some of these subtle things that are that are marginalizing women or not making them uh, or where they're not being groomed for the top spots. You know, they're still a little bit on the edges of, of power in a lot of industries. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that is where change is really going to mm-hmm. have to come from those middle management jobs to those upper management jobs with real decision-making authority. Mm. When you see Carrie and Ellie going into this next phase of their life, Uh what are those conversations like with them about just understanding the importance of having some financial independence? Well, I have always emphasized that things happen, you know, people die, as Mm -hmm. was the case with my husband and their dad. Uh, People get divorced. I've always really encourage them to have careers and professions and their own financial independence. So, you know, I haven't talked to them that much about negotiating their salaries. They're really still kind of getting into their fields. Mm -hmm. And I want them to work hard and to learn and get better at their jobs. But When it comes time to standing up for yourself, it's still really hard. You know, it's hard to kind of have the courage to do that and to not be trepidatious about that, right? And so I just try to instill them with a lot of self-confidence so that they'll know their self-worth and they'll Mm -hmm. know that they're valuable. But I also think it's a fine line between that and also having some appropriate humility, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that... 
I don't want them to be, you know, know it alls or act like, you know, I think that everything's a learning process. So I'll be there every step of the way to support them. I have two incredible stepchildren as well mm-hmm. and to always give advice. But some of this is just has to be experienced and learned. You know, you can't kind of manage everything yeah. for them. You can't be around no, and, making sure you know, everything goes right. And you have to let them know how to deal with disappointment and mm-hmm. you have to teach kids and help them be resilient and to mm-hmm. pick themselves up and, you know, all those things that quite frankly, I don't think baby boomers have been so great at for their kids. <laughs> mm. Do you know what a snowplow parent yes, is? Yes, I do. Oh, I just learned that today. Yeah. I can't believe snowplow I didn't know that. is, 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 is like the helicopter mom or helicopter parent on steroids. <laughs> so not only are you hovering, not are you up. hovering, but you are clearing the way. <laughs> so there are no bumps in the road and they can get to the destination very easily. Yes. And I, I mean, I probably did a little of that too, but I think it's, you know, obviously at the extreme, I think that term came up during the college admission scandal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I think it was first coined that, oh. you know, you have to do everything to make life easy and simple and, 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 uh, problem free for your child. And let's face it. I mean, that's the problems that teach us and help us grow. La, 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 la. <laughs> Did get a lot of texts. So that's how you got into Stanford, I see. During that oh, college My scandal. daughter went to Stanford, my youngest. <laughs> Woo! Go card. Yeah. Going back to probably all of us at this table, our reasons for why we're in this business are very similar. One of my favorite parts are the people I get to meet. Mm-hmm. And we get these glimpses into people's lives that we otherwise would have never had the opportunity to meet. I know. We're so lucky, right? Mm-hmm. I was wondering, what is a story that you've done in your career Mm. that impacted you as a person and maybe changed you or opened your eyes to something? Oh, gosh, so many. I've interviewed so many people who have just showed such strength and determination in under terrible circumstances, which has made me, not to sound cheesy, but kind of appreciate the strength of the human spirit in really challenging times, you know, whether it's Gabby Giffords or Lauren Manning was burned so severely on 9-11 and just fought like hell to get well and went through so much. And, and I've learned about generosity from people who have, you know, like Milton Fratkin, who started Dollars for Scholars in in Fall River, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. uh, and ended up starting Scholarship America, which has given you know billions of dollars away in, in college scholarships through the years. And he recently died, and he was an optometrist, you know, just a simple guy who wanted to send everyone in his town to college. So he asked everyone to donate a dollar, and and he's changed so many people's lives as mm-hmm. a result. And just brilliant. I mean, everything, Columbine and seeing those kids in Parkland and seeing those young people organize that march on Washington. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just so amazing and inspiring. So I feel like I've learned something from almost everybody. And there's no one person who changed my life. Um, I think it's small lessons of, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. grace or generosity or resilience or 
you know, the power of just helping someone else that is, I think, kind of, I've absorbed, I think, almost through osmosis. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm writing a book right now, so I'm revisiting a lot of these really oh, important cool. stories that I've done. Are you rewatching all your pieces? I'm watching, stories? yeah, I'm watching that's a neat. lot of them. Um, yeah, I don't remember so many of them, but I'm watching interviews I did on my talk show. I'm watching, rewatching documentaries or big interviews I did on the Today Show or at the CBS Evening News. And, um, you know, I, th- I saw Gail King the other night at a play and, I, you know, she said she was having so much fun because she feels like she's like in the middle of everything. She has a front row seat to history. And I said, well, you do, you know, mm-hmm. you are, it's such a privilege to be able to, to see everything that's happening and to take it in and then share it with other people. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's such a, I mean, I've just been so privileged to do this for a living and to do yeah. something I love so much. Mm-hmm. Would you encourage people to get into journalism today with where it's at? Well, my daughter is. My youngest is just started a job at Reuters. I would. Um, I think it's hard. It's harder now. Uh, there's no clear path. You know, for me, it was working in local news and working my way up. And I was a producer and assignment editor. So that was helpful because I kind of knew what was going on behind the scenes. And, and that helped me sort of work as a team. But it's, it's, it's not clear cut anymore. You can go into digital media or you can work for a newspaper, but it's so, so important. And I hope local news starts to get stronger because local news is really important. And people trust their local news more than they do national news, I think. Um, but I, I mean, I think, I think we'll have to wait and see what happens to the landscape. Will there be a nightly newscast in five years? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, but will there be something that helps people understand the world and know what's going on? Yes, there will be. It may be, may be in a different form and good storytelling, good writing, holding people accountable. You know, that's so important to our democracy. So yes, I would, I would just say, you know, become a really, really good writer, a good storyteller. And, you know, in many ways, there are so many opportunities to create content with all the streaming channels and all that. I just sometimes feel like there's so much, it's overwhelming. And now we live in this attention economy, and where are you going to put your time and attention? And I remember interviewing, I think, Ted Sarandos a couple years ago, the head of Netflix, and saying, I don't rather if it's Ted or somebody else involved with streaming. And I said, "Are there too, is there too much out there? <laughs> right. He said, I don't know. Are there too many books in the library? <laughs> and I said, yeah, kind of, there are, because I'm never going to be able to read them all. But I think it's the paradox of choice, they call it, and... Uh, so I, I still think journalism is such an important, noble profession that I'm really proud of my daughter. And I think, you know, she wants to go into long form journalism. She wants to write. Mm-hmm. She told me That's she great. was too smart for television. <laughs> and, Thanks. Uh, Thanks, dear. I know. And it's kind of true. Maybe. It is true, actually. <laughs> Whenever I hang out with writers, I'm like, I love writers. I know. They're smart. They're funny. They are. They're really good. And uh, so I guess to answer your question, yes, but I would really pay attention to trends and what's happening and 
you know, have a fallback plan. <laughs> One of the interesting things about TV is that in live TV in particular, you're going to fall on your face at some point, especially early in your career. It's just the idea of mistakes happen yeah. and how to rebound from them. I mean, I think for me, I was lucky because I never sort of gave the vibe or conveyed the notion that I was perfect in any way. You know, I think my, I've always been kind of the same on TV as I was off TV. And so I always felt like people were there along for the ride and they didn't expect me to be flawless in my performance mm-hmm. or delivery. And, um, you know, there have been moments where I've done dumb things. I, feel like maybe I wasn't quick enough or I remember I interviewed one of the flying Walendas and they answered all in monosyllabic answers like yes, no. And, and it was just terrible. And I, you know, it was just awkward. And I remember interviewing Bobcat Goldthwait and asking him why he was screaming. And I didn't realize that was his whole shtick. You know, <laughs> I looked like such a moron. So, you know, yes, I've done stupid things. Um, and, you know, and it's what's really hard is you cannot have a brain fart on live television. You know, sometimes if you've like lost your train of thought or you're, you're the people, you know, they're finishing their question. You're like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. I can't remember the next question I was supposed to ask. Oh, God, help me, please, God. You know, if you had a thought bubble, it's like, wait, I knew what it was. Wait, wait, what was it? Oh, and then right, right in the nick of time. Or you say, that's really interesting. You know, um. And then you have to kind of gather your thoughts because, you know, your brain just has to be constantly working and it is, you cannot take a little rest. You have to be so on top of things and it's hard, but, um, yeah. Okay. So we'd like to play, um, a game. We'll make this a quick game with our guests where it's a trivia game. There's one rule you have to squeak in. With an answer. Okay. So you, either, you get to choose between the elephant or the fuzzy giraffe. I'll take the elephant. And by the way, I'm super competitive. So. <gasps> Katie. What kind? Oh, is this going to be hard? I'm sorry, but Are I these get gonna be hard questions. Really aggressive. Do you have them in advance? Do you, <laughs> you, you cannot they, squeak do you in know the question? No, do you know the question? Oh, questions? I don't even know the theme of the game. Okay. I, don't, I have okay, no Len. idea. Should we surprise this? Hit it. The theme of this game is which Olympics was it? Because both of you have a lot of experience with the Olympics. Oh, jeez. Oh, God. Okay. This Olympic ceremony featured 15,000 performers and was reported to have cost $100 million. What is Beijing? Correct. Oh, come on. That was a setup. That was a lucky guess because I didn't cover Beijing. Continue. Oh, you didn't? No. I thought you did like the opening ceremonies or something. You didn't even cover that? Stop it. And I call myself an Olympian. (laughs) This one you did cover, Katie. I'm going to give you a hint on that one. (sighs) After this Olympic ceremony, Katie had to apologize to the Netherlands. Who had it? Okay, if she just covered it. um, Wait, did you squeak in first? I squeaked in first. Okay. Pyong Chang. Yeah. Was it Pyong Chang? Yeah. What did you apologize for? Oh, God. This is so aggravating. What was because it? Because I said, okay, so I was doing the opening ceremony. I'll tell this story really quickly. And I wanted to do something interesting about the countries and not just say, look, there are the Dutch. They have green and yellow, whatever they're wearing. And they won, blah, blah, blah. So I asked the producer, is there something interesting? You know, obviously, 
they're incredible at speed skating. Is there a reason why? And he looked up some stuff and he said, yeah, because of all the canals and it's so known for skating on canals. So I said something about that. And they mocked me. They mocked me, Julie, what? and then mer- mercilessly because they, they said they don't they, skate. nobody skates on canals. They don't freeze anymore. And then about a month later, there were all these photos of the friggin' Dutch <laughs> skating on their goddamn they were, canals. They were on their canals. <laughs> anyway, it was an international hey, hey, hey. incident you of epic proportions. You should have said, "I take back my apology." <laughs> Well, you everyone, can now, skaters. Some, some were good sports about it, but man, they were very touchy. And I always thought Dutch people were nice. They are nice. Are Why they? were they so touchy? I think you should throw your producer under the bus there. Like, I didn't want to do that because I'm not that person, Julie. Yeah. I am not that person. I'm not that person. <laughs> okay, next one. One to one. Next one. This is it for the games. For the game. Women's soccer made its debut at this Olympics. <laughs> Katie got it. Atlanta? Correct. Yes! Woo! That's my girl, Katie. Okay. Right. You win. Okay. Most pressing questions. <laughs> Guilty pleasure. Uh, donuts <laughs> and McConnell's ice cream. McConnell's. Yeah, made in Santa Barbara. Delish. Really? Yeah. Right. Salted caramel chip. Oh, I think awesome. I've been to Please McConnell's. don't send me any more McConnell's, though, because <laughs> I just can't handle it. I can't handle it. I'm going to start looking like Toadie Fields. Do you remember her? <laughs> Best piece of advice you've ever received. Today, you may be drinking the wine. Tomorrow, you could be picking the grapes. <laughs> On that theme, the older I get, the better I was. <laughs> kind of like wine. Yeah. That's my best piece of I advice. I like it. The older I get, the better I was. Okay, I'm <laughs> going to start. I'm going to make a bumper sticker that says that. Okay, our last segment. High, low, cheer, Katie. Okay. I do this around the dinner table with my kids. They're high of the day, they're low of the day, and someone they cheer for. But we're going to do this with your career. So high of your career, low of your career, and someone you cheer for, that you're grateful for in your career. The high of my career was probably my first day at the Today Show, Mm -hmm. a job I never anticipated getting. This kid from Arlington, Virginia, who was a hardworking, scrappy reporter and not a glamour puss, clearly. <laughs> and I just didn't think I would ever be tapped for that job. So to have people have confidence in me and think that I could do a good job on a show that has such a rich history, that was probably a high. How old were you? Uh, 12. 30. <laughs> no, I was 30. I'm like, yeah, Ronan Perro. He went to college at 11, got his PhD at... 14. No, um, I, I was 34, I think. Were you scared in that moment? Oh yeah. Terrified. That first day on the air? Oh yeah. Terrified. But I had filled in enough that I was a little more comfortable. So you'd had enough reps. Yeah. It was exciting. It was just incredibly exciting. So I would say that was a high. Um, and I think anytime I went to the white house to interview a president to be able to you know, walk into that space Mm. 
and be able to take talk to you know the leader of the leader of the free world was just Mm-hmm. incredible so th- i would so say those were two highs mm-hmm. you're allowed to you're okay Katie good and and a low yes low professional low or yeah or personal low professional low either um mm, there have been so many of them <laughs> <laughs> i would say uh I don't know. Um, I would say probably the internal and external crap I took when I was anchoring the CBS <laughs> Evening News was pretty hard. When my daughter sitting around the dinner table, when I was crying one night because I was just so upset about everything, <laughs> she said, Mom, she was 10, remember what Samantha in Sex in the City says? And I'm like, oh, God, this is so wrong on so many levels. Should if I listened to what every bitch in New York City said about me, I'd never leave the house. I said, oh, thank you, Gary. And I started laughing. I was like, my daughter, everything she's learning, she's learning from Sex in the City. I hope you didn't watch the Funky Spunk episode. That's all I'm going to say. That is at 10 years old. Yeah. Oh, man. She is my hero. Yeah. Yeah. Oops. Sorry. Anyway, and who do I, and what was the last question? Cheer. Who do I cheer? cheer? I have so many people to cheer. I would probably cheer a man named Don Farmer who taught me when I was 27 that I didn't have to take any crap from anyone. Don Farmer. Slow clap for Don. He was an uh, anchor I worked with at CNN in Atlanta. And when someone said something incredibly offensive to me, he sat down with me and we wrote a memo together. And from that moment on, I thought, along with my dad, I'm sure he would have told me to do the same thing. But Don said, sit down, we're going to write this guy a memo. And I did, and I still have it. Wow. And I'm putting it in my book because it's just so funny because it's from 1984, which shows you how long sort of some of this behavior has been going on and that you just have to stand up for yourself. And um, so I really appreciate Don for doing that. I think about him all the time and how mm-hmm. how instrumental he has been in giving me the confidence to say I, I'm sorry, you you cannot say that or act that way, and I'm not going to put up with it and shape up, Mister. That's awesome. <laughs> we need more of those, in right? Life, right. What does the memo say? Is that what the memo said? No, no. I'm saving it for my book, okay, Julie. Sorry, 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 Julie. <laughs> well, thank you for being such a leader in this industry. Oh, you're welcome. I tried. You know, it's. Uh, There are a lot of extraordinary women who are doing great work, and uh, I think they've been recognized, too. And hopefully, um, you know, we can continue to bring really strong women into all industries, right? Because we're 51% of the population, right? 51.8%, is that right? Who runs the world? Girls, who runs the world? (laughs) And so, you know, I think we are getting there. Um, But but equally important... Thank you for being such a good human. Uh, like that That is what resonates the most in everything you do, I think, and why you're so successful is that you, you treat 
everyone kindly. I, I try to. I mean, just like I'm not perky and friendly and upbeat all the time, <laughs> but I do try to. I try to value people around me, um, and uh, but I also have very high standards. So you just have to make sure that one doesn't eclipse the other. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? I have to think about that for a moment myself. I think I'm going to have to eat a donut on that one. <laughs> Let it simmer inside. Oh, by the way. Katie (laughs) Couric. Katie Couric. Did a podcast with us. So good. So good. Who doesn't love some Katie Couric? That was so fun. Takeaways, Lynn. I'll start quickly. My main takeaway is how impressed I am by her ability to jump into different lanes and silos and her willingness to do so. To I have a friend who always says, you stop, you rot. Mm. And her willingness to say, I'm going to try this medium and this. I mean, think of all the different mediums she's in and that she's been willing to venture into and some have worked, some haven't, and mm-hmm. she's fine with that. Totally. And there's a lot of people who go, this is my lane. Mm-hmm. This is where I'm good. I'm going to stay in my lane. It's safe. It's comfortable. I would argue a bit boring. Uh, but she has been able to jump around and be willing to jump around, which is the the mindset that I admire the most and do so well in so many different forums. Quite peripatetic. One might say. Peripatetic. P. (laughs) That was the best. Two things about peripatetic. One, Katie totally spelled it correctly. Two, I have the definition of it. Oh. Are you ready? I'm ready. Peripatetic means traveling from place to place, in particular working or based in various places for relatively short periods. Peripatetic. Peripatetic. Can you relate to that at all, my friend? I love that. Yes. Yes. Again, something I love about Katie that's similar. You two have a lot in common. I know that was weird. I I forgot she was the fourth of of four. And the willingness to try different things. I do think when you're the next time you're in New York, you should get together with her for four ounces of wine. (laughs) (laughs) That you would have a good time together. Oh, four ounces. We would. She's kind of busy. She's kind of important. She's a massive deal, Katie Couric. Katie, it's your friend, Julie. She doesn't come off that way, though. She's so down to earth. Really funny, too, as it came across. Mm -hmm. Super funny. And smart, because I learned another word. The (laughs) other word I learned in the interview was prescient. Mm. Did you look this one up, too, Lynn? I did, because I I heard that word, and that was a great word. I wasn't quite sure of the meaning. And it's what she described her dad as, which is having... Foreknowledge of events, human mm. anticipation of the course of events. Very prescient. Isn't that a great word? Mm-hmm. So along with the two new words I learned, a takeaway for me is I loved when Katie talked about how being in journalism allows her to serve and help people. I could relate to that idea because it's why I got into journalism. I thought that by telling someone's story, I could put some good 
out into the world. To be honest, from a really personal level, that's why the feedback we've gotten from this podcast is so meaningful because it does seem like we're striking a chord with people and brightening their day. So to have that type of impact, it means a lot. Mm -hmm. Yep. And to your point, I liked how Katie said she's not afraid of failure. And if something doesn't work out, it's on to the next. It's such an admirable quality. That was really cool to hear because you and I both talked about prior to the interview how Katie has this ability to try a lot of different things. And clearly she has a mindset for why she's able to do that. How about when I asked her... Well, weren't you a little scared jumping into these new realms? No. Nope. No. (laughs) That's like, wow. No hesitation. No. No. So good. All right. Questions permitted. What do we got, Lynn? Julie, I have one today from at Adrian underscore RT. And her question is, if you were to pick one guy to do a podcast with, who would it be? (laughs) This is so funny because... (laughs) Just the other day in the car, I'm driving with the kids and we're and the four of us are off to go eat somewhere and I'm telling Ian and the kids that oh, I've been trying to make contact. We were talking about the Warriors, of course, and I said, "Oh, I've been trying to make contact with Steve Kerr because I think he would be one, he's just rad." as a human. Two, he's a great coach. But three, he is an incredible backstory as well. Uh, And I said out loud, I've been trying to get him for the podcast. And Izzy, my 12-year-old, looked at me and she goes, Mom, I thought the whole point was you interview women. (laughs) Why are you trying to get a boy on the podcast? (laughs) I love Izzy. I laughed so hard. I was like, well, that is an excellent question. But if I were to have one boy on the podcast, Steve Kerr would be that one boy. Lynn, who would be your one boy? I think Will Ferrell would be a great guest. Oh, yes. He would be my second choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Will Ferrell and his wife, too, is awesome soccer player. Vivica, they, 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 uh, they actually endowed a scholarship at usc for the women's soccer team oh They're no amazing. kidding uh-huh very cool <clears throat> big big soccer fans maybe we will get them on before we go lynn breaking news what's that lynn crossed the threshold she is over let's slow clap it off lynn <laughs> one thousand followers on twitter boom I'd like to thank all of my followers. I'd like to thank this podcast for making it possible. Hashtag influencer. I will say it's been cool to see who follows me because it's an indicator of who's listening to the podcast. The dopest of dope. Yes, that's neat. And I appreciate the follows because ultimately it gives me an opportunity to share more about the podcast with our listeners and... You know, I'll try not to let this go to my head. (laughs) That's it from us. Thank you to our dopest of dope villages for listening. We'd love to know your takeaways from this episode. 
so Lynn can text them to me as she does <laughs> any comments you have for us. You can leave a comment on our Apple podcast page or drop us a line on social media. Oh, yes. Lynn is over a thousand. Be sure to hashtag it. Laughter permitted. Lots of love also to Kate Diaz, who wrote and performed our theme song. Check her out on Spotify and Apple Music. And oh, yes, she's a, we will always say this, Julie Foudy Sports Leadership Academy alum, in case you hadn't heard. And as always, kids, remember, sing it with us. Laughter permitted. Keto just went out the window. Don't forget to check out another great ESPN podcast. That's what she said with Sarah Spain. This week, Sarah chats with Sports Illustrated writer Steve Russian about his life and career, including the interesting way he met his wife. Our ESPN colleague, Rebecca Lobo. Download and subscribe to That's What She Said wherever you get your podcasts.